person that is about to win the race, and then starts celebrating too soon, gets overtaken by the person in second place. I love those videos. I mean, some of you, you're, you're, you might see something like that and you think, oh no, that's just terrible, not me. I love them. I love, you know, it's like the jogger at the end of the marathon wants to stop and shake hands and give high fives to all of his friends and not knowing the second place jogger is right behind him. Or you got the uh, cyclist who waves to the crowd with both hands, loses control of the bicycle, crashes right in front of the finish line. Or that football player starts to celebrate before he gets into the end zone, drops the ball at the one-yard line, does his little dance, not knowing that the play is still alive and that he didn't score that touchdown. These people that do all that, they make the same mistake. And this is the mistake I want to talk to you about today. It's the mistake of presumption. Presumption. In fact, presumption can be a sin. A lot of people presume a lot of things about their own life. Some people, unfortunately, presume that they're saved. That's the worst mistake you could ever make. They think, well, I'm, I'm good with God. I haven't committed those big sins. I haven't killed somebody, or, or if I did kill somebody, I'm real sorry for it. You know, God will overlook that, right? You know, I've, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm sure I'm going to get into heaven someday. The sin of presumption. That's a dangerous one right there. Some people commit the presumption of the authority to criticize and to condemn other Christians. We don't think about that very much, but sometimes uh, there might, even among God's people, be someone who thinks that I'm pretty important. I'm pretty up there. You know, and it's okay for me to look down upon these other Christians and to condemn them, to look down upon them, to be their judge as if we know someone else's heart. There's the presumption of knowing, of thinking we know future events. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. People live as if they know the future. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. The book of James is near the back of your Bible, just past the book of Hebrews. James chapter 4. We'll read verses 13 through 17. I'd ask you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'll read aloud, and you read silently. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Listen to what James says. And of course, as always, as we've been journeying through the book of James, we find that James is very much direct and to the point. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there and engage in a business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. 
thoughts. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would illumine our minds today and apply this passage of Scripture to our hearts so that we can live rightly before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You might not think it's a big deal to make certain plans for the future. I mean, you sort of, we all make plans. We all sort of assume things are going to turn out okay. And we, if we even give it some thought, we might say, ah, chances are everything's going to be fine. And so we'll just go ahead and make, make our plans. But here's the deal. Your future is not certain. Your future is not certain. It is not predefined or predetermined. By the way, when I'm talking about your future here, I'm not talking about the eternal future of God, uh, the, the, the plans that God has for your, your life and my life and for anyone who believes in the Lord. I'm not talking about these great plans that are for certain that God has told us about in Scripture. I'm talking about your immediate future. I'm talking about the rest of today. I'm talking about tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. You don't know. You don't know what is going to happen. And I don't believe that the things that are going to happen in your immediate future are predefined or predetermined. And I could be mistaken. But I do not believe that every single thing that will happen in your life or in the history of humanity has already been predetermined by God. And that we are simply we simply find ourselves as mindless robots carrying out God's predetermined plans. I think if, if that were the case, it seems to me that God would be the author of sin, in fact. And we know that he's not. But even if you do believe that God predetermines every single happenstance, and you believe, for example, that it, it's been predetermined that at 5.23 p.m. today, you're going to stub your toe and accidentally utter out a word that you shouldn't say, all that would mean even if you believed all of that, is that God knows your future because he planned it. It still doesn't mean you know your future. The truth is, you and I are very ignorant about our immediate futures. And so don't live like you know what your immediate future will hold. Your plans for tomorrow or next week or next month are unknown to you. You might ask, well, Pastor, are you saying that it's wrong to make plans? No, not, not at all. You can set goals. You can make plans. But don't leave God out. That is the danger. That you set plans and you give no consideration whatever to God. Now, I don't know why anybody especially someone who claims to follow Christ, would leave God out of his plans or her plans. Because I don't know about you, but my life is a little bit too complex to live as if God didn't exist. I mean, think about everything that you have to deal with. Think about the people that you have to deal with. Perhaps a spouse, children, in-laws, supervisors, subordinates, associates. Friends, in-laws, pastor, you said in-laws twice. Some of you have ex-spouses and ex-in-laws. 
and all the rest of their family. That's a lot to keep up with. I don't know why you would want to try to make plans and live like God isn't there. And that's just people. Think about the places that you have to handle. You better get your workplace under control. How about your home? How about your school? How about your church? We're working on the church plan. Activities. All the activities of your life. Preacher, I just don't have time for this or that or the other. Because I'm just too busy. So many activities. You've got health issues. Financial issues. You've got birthdays and anniversaries. And if I haven't stressed you out yet, just think what might happen if you miss an anniversary. Then you've got some stress in your life. I've got way too much going on in my life to leave God out. And I don't know why anyone, especially someone who believes in Christ, would ever want to leave God out of his plans or her plans. So if it seems like at times your life is just spinning out of control, I want you to consider the possibility that maybe you're living your life without God. And you might say, oh no, not me, Pastor. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. Listen to me. You can be a follower of Christ and still live without God. I don't mean that God's not there. He's there. I just mean you've left Him on the sidelines. He's not actively involved in your life. You've pushed Him aside. Got a question for you. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to get on to you. How many of you went to the Texas Tech football game last night? Raise your hand. Some of you did. All right. A few of you did. All right. That's good. And I'm, like I said, I'm not going to get on to you because I think it's pretty much a requirement to cheer against Oklahoma. Um, but if you went to that football game, I'm going to just suppose that you did not play. Had you played, we might have won. I don't know. But I'm going to guess that you weren't even on the sidelines. I'm going to guess that you were up in the stands. So I'm going to say that you'd probably agree with me that there's a difference between being up in the stands and being involved in the game. And that's what I'm saying about you and the Lord. There's a possibility if your life seems to be spinning out of control that God is up in the stands of your life. Not even on the sidelines. You've just allowed God to be an observer watching you do the whole thing. You can live your life without God, but why? I don't know why you'd want to do that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. Seek it. Go after it, Jesus was saying. And all these things will be added to you. Put your focus on Christ and keep it there. You put your focus on Christ. You seek after the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God. God will replace the conflict in your life with composure. He will replace the chaos in your life with control. And He will replace the confusion in your life 
with clarity. Let's look again at what James says in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business there and make a profit. Now this is a fantastic verse. You know, so often I've wanted to take this verse and make it into a little one-hour business seminar and become a consultant and have people pay me to tell them these five things. Tell CEOs these five things. Here's what you do. Because look at this verse, the whole thing. There's a great business plan. you got the timing planned out. You've got a journey to a financial center. You've got the securing of a temporary residence there. You've got the possession of sufficient time to do business. And you have a positive vision and expectation to turn a profit. Boom! Right there. What a great consulting idea. Here's the problem with it. In that plan, God's not involved. There's no room for God in that plan. Where's the consideration of God's will in that plan? Listen, when you come to the point in your life where you believe that you control your own destiny, you're in danger. You are in danger. There's a lot of things that you do control, to be fair. But there's a lot that you don't. In fact, the most important things are things probably outside of your control. So why would you ever leave God out? There are choices that you do make in life that impact your life in powerful ways, but you are not in control of your own destiny. You do not know what the future holds. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, A man's steps are established by the Lord. And I want to tell you this, that if you decide, even as a Christian, to leave God on the sidelines, you are a practical atheist. Even if you say you believe in Him, if you disallow Him to be actively involved in your life, there's no difference between you and the atheist who doesn't let God be involved in his life either. If you did believe that God made a difference in the day-to-day -day things, you wouldn't push him off to the sidelines. He would be calling the shots. Verse 14. James says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like Tomorrow. Think about tomorrow. You don't know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. One day can make a big difference. One single day can make a big difference in life. September 11th, 2001. Just a day, right? Just a day. Made a difference, though. December 7th, 1941. Just a day. I knew a guy who was there on a ship. Sort of lazy getting up that day. Until he heard what he first thought were firecrackers. Turned out not to be firecrackers. Just today, December 26, 2004. That date is not so much in our memory as September 11th, 2001 or December 7th, 1941. December 26, 2004. 
186,983 people confirmed dead. 42,883 missing for a total of 229,886 because the earthquake that day was the second highest on the Richter scale, measuring at 9.3, which is as much energy as the United States uses in 11 days. The entire earth vibrated at least half an inch. And that earthquake triggered other earthquakes to occur, even as far away as Alaska. And that was the day a terrible tsunami impacted just about a quarter of a million people for eternity. It was just a day. One day makes a huge difference. You don't know what tomorrow will hold. You don't. So don't act like you do. Don't leave God out. The life-altering changes that happen to us, by the way, are not always negative like those three days. Just one in my life was July 6, 1991. It's the day the lady who turned out to be my wife said, yeah, she'd go out with me. I remember that day. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to hold up that kind of standard. One day can change your life. You don't know. Your life is brief. Verse 14 continues. It says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You're just a vapor. If I were to ask you how old you were, some of you would say, well, I'm 48 years old or I'm 90 years old or I'm 80 years old or I'm 17. Because we count by years. God's word tells us to count differently. Listen. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. In three days, I will be 18,000 days old. That's pretty old. I wonder how many of them I've wasted. I wonder if I really want to know the answer to that. Probably not. Every day is another marble in the jar. Every day. Because we don't live year by year. We live day by day. We need to understand that. In the movie, Lord of the Rings, when circumstances were dire and bleak, the hobbit Frodo said... I wish it need not have happened in my time. To which the wise wizard Gandalf replied, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Wise words indeed. Now I want to give you three simple principles of life that have to exist if you want to see God to be at, if you want God to be active in your life. Three things, real simple, right here from God's word. Principle number one: God's will needs to take priority over your will. Okay? God's will has to take priority over your will. 
I mean, what do you want more than anything right now? What do you want more than anything? I know the answer might be to get out of this sermon. But what do you want more than anything? In general, in your life, day by day, what is it that you want? Some of you, if you'd be honest with yourself, you'd say, I want that new car. Oh, man, I'd love to have that car. I want the new house. Or I want to retire. I just want to quit my job. I want to be done with it. The answer to that question should be, more than anything else, I want to do what God that should be the answer. Verse 15. Instead of making plans without God, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. If the Lord wills. Think about that. Living according to God's will. That's part of the model prayer, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your God's will be done on earth, here where I live, as it is in heaven. Therefore God dwells. What is God's will for your life? Sometimes teenagers will ask that question because they're getting to the point where they have to figure out, do I, do I go to college? Or if I do, where do I go to college? Who, who am I going to marry? What kind of job am I going to get? There's the big three questions. What's God's will for my life? Some people think that's a very difficult question to answer, but it's not. God tells us exactly what his will is. If you were to do a study, and I would encourage you to do this study, you could do it. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to do this study. You could probably even do it just searching on the internet. Where it says the will of God or God's will in the New Testament. Here's what you'd find. You would find that God wants you to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is patient toward you, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. What does God want? Number one, He wants you to be saved. Now, a lot of us in this room, we've got that settled. And that's good. If you don't have that settled yet, if you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to settle that today. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Settle it today. Second thing God wants. He wants you to be filled with His Spirit. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will. Be filled with the Spirit. It means to be under the control of the Spirit of God day by day. That's God's will. What's God's will for my life? He wants you to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says... For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God also wants you to submit to human authorities. 2 Peter 2, verses 13 and 15 says, Submit to every human institution because of the Lord. For it is God's will that you, by doing good, silence the ignorance of foolish people. So submit to governing authorities. Okay? Here's the one we don't like so much. God wants you to suffer for His sake. 1 Peter 4.19 Those who suffer according to God's will 
should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. What's God's will for your life? I just told you. All the rest are details that God can work out. So principle number one, let God's will take a priority over yours. It comes to the point where you basically say, God, I know I've sort of been wanting this in life, whatever this is, but now, more than anything else, I want to do what you want me to do. I want your will to be done in my life. And if you can't pray that prayer honestly, then that's the problem. Principle number two, if you want to see God active in your life, be humble. Be humble. Be a humble person. Verse 16. James says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You know, for me personally, I find it fascinating that God calls making plans, arrogance, and evil in this verse. If those plans don't include him. When was the last time you actually said to someone that you made an appointment with something like this? Hey, if the Lord wills, I'll see you on Thursday. Where you actually said this. And you might say, oh, that, that sounds silly. Well, maybe it sounds silly to you, but maybe it sounds humble to the Lord to start adding, if the Lord wills, to your plans. Principle number three. If you want to see God active in your life, if you want to give, get Him where you're not pushing Him off to the sidelines, but actively involved in the plans and the details of your life, here it is. Do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Be committed to doing the right thing all the time. Verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. i got to ask you a question. Are you committed to doing the right thing no matter the circumstances? If your boss tomorrow wants you or asks you to do something immoral or illegal or even something in a gray area that would violate your convictions, are you committed to doing the right thing? Even if it costs you your job even if it costs you a promotion, even if it costs you a friendship, will you just do the right thing? Those three things make God's will number one in your life. Be humble and do the right thing. Which one of those is the most difficult for you today? That's where the Lord's working on your heart. That's where God would say we need to do a little business. We need to settle this. Make God's will number one. Be humble and do the right thing.